The two kind of surface level ones are get your digital house in order. We've got to figure out this question of where the capacity belongs, how to be better educated consumers in that space, how to be willing to ask questions about it and learn better, how to build teams that are experts in that area, because it's the future of our industry. Welcome to How to Market a University, a special podcast series featuring vignettes of Dr. Teresa Flannery's book, How to Market a University. Terry Flannery has spent her entire career in higher education. She was the first marketing director and chief marketing officer at the University of Maryland, the first vice president of communications at American University, and most recently, the interim vice president for marketing and communication at Stony Brook University. At a time of declining public support, a shrinking pipeline of traditional college-bound students, and a steady rise in tuition and discount rates, higher education leaders have never been under more pressure. How can they ensure steady or growing enrollments while cultivating greater philanthropic support, increasing research funding, and diversifying revenue streams? In How to Market a University, Terry argues that institutions can meet all of these goals by implementing strategic, integrated marketing in ways that are consistent with academic culture and university values. Enrollify and Terry have joined forces to produce Enrollify's first ever master course that mirrors the robust learnings and deep insights packed into Terry's book. Over the next eight weeks, this special podcast series will give you a taste of what you can expect in the master course. But that's it, just a taste. To unpack all of the language, the frameworks, the tools, and the tactics that CMOs or aspiring CMOs will need to learn to lead the work of marketing in higher education, we invite you to register for the master course on how to market a university at enrollify.org forward slash master course. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash master course. This master course features guest experts like Seth O'Dell, Jenny Petty, Jamie Hunt, Ethan Braden, Michael Stoner, Angela Pollock, Binti Harvey, Bob Johnson, and many more. It's also filled with downloadable templates and worksheets to help you retain the course material. And last but certainly not least, this course was made possible by the leading agencies in higher education marketing who all came together to support this effort. We want to thank Simpson Scarborough, MindPower, DD Agency, and Ology for their incredible guidance and partnership. To learn more about how these firms have helped colleges and universities of all shapes and sizes realize their branding, marketing, enrollment, and advancement goals, hop on over to their respective websites in the show notes below. All right, without further ado, welcome to the How to Market a University podcast series. All right, Terry, this is the final episode in our podcast series, How to Market a University, which is really just a teaser for this awesome master course that you have poured so much time and energy and effort into. So right at the offset, we're gonna tell all of you folks, if you haven't done so already, head on over to enrollify.org forward slash master course, and be sure to register for How to Market a University with Terry Flannery. This is the final episode, as I've mentioned, of this mini podcast series, and we've titled this, not we, Terry has titled this, uh, The Future of Higher Education Marketing. So to kick us off, Terry, as you think about the future of higher ed marketing, what are two or three things that, that really you know keep you up at night? They could be exciting things or terrifying things. (laughs) Or maybe both. Or maybe both. (laughs) Well, let me look into my crystal wall. I think the obvious one is the demographic cliff that I think is so apparent in terms of the impact that it's going to have. It's going to shrink the pipeline by 15% um, by the end of this decade, and it's going to drop pretty precipitously um, 
is starting in 2026. So I think that is both terrifying. It could really threaten the survival of a lot of the institutions that we care about, but it's also an exciting time for higher ed marketers because there's never been a more important time to do what we do hmm. and to apply that set of tools if we get cracking and get the, start laying them in you know, before the worst of this happens. Um, I think a second thing to be watching is this labor crisis that we're having in higher education. And I know it's not unique to higher ed, but the great resignation is creating this environment where people are leaving for environments that have more balance and better pay. And we're historically really bad at both in higher education. We work long and hard and we expect that people will come work for us for less money. I don't know how we're going to meet the challenges that we have in higher education marketing if we don't address that crisis in particular. So that's a big one. And then something that's sort of a troubling sign is in the latest CMO marketing study, for the first time in years, we're seeing a drop in marketing budgets, a decline over the last year, which would have happened post the year that we all reverted to fully online. That's troubling because I think this is a time to be doubling down on investments in marketing, not for self-serving purposes. It's going to be key to the institution survival given these other challenges. As you think about how teams should respond to these challenges slash opportunities. What do you think the best higher ed marketing teams will be focused on in the next three to five years? What will these teams look like? And any words of, of wisdom to leaders that might be listening to this series on how to structure these teams? We've talked about stru- you know structuring yeah. teams uh, a couple times already, but just specifically for the opportunities and the challenges that lie ahead any words of wisdom for leaders on how to effectively structure and, and build great hired marketing teams? Yeah, I think at its root, we have to have um, workplaces and work that matters, that we feel valued and we're really jazzed about working in. So teams that are highly professional, that are really integrated and collaborating across specialty areas and across the institution, teams that are respected on their campus, that's going to be really important. So people aren't going to take that crap anymore. Sorry, they're not. You know, teams that are responsible for at least 4% of their annual budget in marketing dollars invested are going to be really uh, effective, high-performing teams. And teams that are measuring and reporting regularly. I think that's what the team of the stellar marketing team of the future should look like. When you, just circling back real fast on your comment around the labor crisis and how the Great Resignation is affecting higher ed, what are your thoughts? And again, I'm sure the answer is that varies depending on context, but what are your thoughts on sort of how higher ed, which is at least tagged as being an industry that has been slow to adopt permanent work from home and is also, as you've noted, you know, typically depending on role, right, industry, the salaries might not be quite what, quite as competitive with other industries. You've got people that are, are love this work, so they're dedicated to this. They're spending a lot of time, more than their 40 hours a week, dedicated to their roles. What are your thoughts on sort of like flexibility and, and how important that will be moving forward? You know, I'm struggling with it personally, in addition to sort of thinking what will it mean for the whole sector, because I think students have demonstrated loud and clear that their virtual experience was not satisfying. And while I'm sure we can make that better, and particularly in some contexts, virtual is uh, useful and valued. They're clamoring to be back in person. They want to have an experience that's more full than sitting um, in front of a computer to do course material. That's just not gonna cut it. So if we're delivering an in-person experience, how do we do that when our teams are fully remote? 
there's an inherent disconnect there. So the answer can't be all or nothing, right? I I just don't think that's the case. I think some flexibility would be appropriate. And then thinking about how do we manage that reasonably? And we haven't worked it out. You know, if you offer a hybrid uh, of sorts, or you have people who are have the flexibility to work remotely, which they should, because they could be more productive at times. They can manage other elements of their lives with more balance. It's more convenient. Sometimes I get all those things. Then how do you manage the cross team collaboration? And I don't think that there is no tool I've seen yet that helps me create the kind of team or the kind of creative outcomes that we get when we are together. And we don't always have to be together, but there's, there is just for me, no high quality replacement for that kind of collaboration. We can make do, but over time can't be sustained and you don't get the same kind of outcome. So I think the answer, this sounds very Pollyannish. It's going to be some kind of balance where there's some flexibility, but we figure out, figured out how to do that in a way that allows for some in-person experience, both for the sake of our um, customers, our stakeholders, and for a quality of outcomes and experience that are rewarding, inspiring, bind employees to us. Yeah, this I don't want to go too far off on a tangent here, but I think that this is actually going to put a lot of pressure, like as you do require, and, and many schools have, for people to come back regularly. I think it's going to put pressure on like that in-person time to be very focused and very fruitful. I think that people are going to expect, okay, if you want me to be present here and we're in a meeting, we're in a brainstorm session, whatever it might be, this meeting better be really productive, really collaborative, right? Like I think people are going to hold leadership and, and others to a higher standard actually. And they're always going to be comparing like, I could have done this. Could could I have, or I guess the question will be, could I have done this via Zoom, right? And it'll it'll just be interesting to see how hopefully our in-person time together does become more fruitful, more creative, and, and more collaborative. So it is obvious. I think the jury's still out on that. Well, and I'm just going to hop on a little bit further. It's not just about how productive we'll be. When I was at uh, Stony Brook University last year in an interim capacity, most of the team was remote for the entire time that I was there. The leadership and my senior managers would be in regularly and I was in every day. But when it was time for the team to start returning to work in person, at least part-time, one of the things we did was have an afternoon outside, it was summertime, to just play. And that's because there were new team members who'd been hired during the pandemic who'd never met their colleagues in person. There were members of longtime members of the team that didn't know me. Um, there had been no time to be together just to form relationships. And we, under, especially for creative work and work that is bold and strategic and takes some risks, you got to have a team that's with you. You know, you have to have loyalty to each other to really have deep relationships. And that does not come from connecting on zoom you can be productive but yeah. it's not that piece of the work yeah. yeah so well said um talking more about the future here so one of the things that is happening and i feel like this is kind of a trend but then also like there's some institutions that are moving away from this and i, I know where you fall on on the spectrum here terry between whether you know how, how closely marketing admissions should collaborate whether marketing and admissions should be housed under some sort of VP of enrollment and marketing or not. And I know that we've been talking throughout the series, throughout the book, throughout yeah. the course about 
marketing deserves its own, you know, seat at the leadership table. So I, I, I know that's where you're coming from. And I think that makes a lot of sense. But for tuition dependent institutions and other institutions where they are just, you know, tight on money, tight on resources. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there might be this this temptation or this, this seemingly obvious solution, which is if marketing is going to mostly be focused on helping enrollment, how do we ensure that these teams are are collaborating well? Does it make sense to, at least for a period of time, you know, merge units? So I'd love your thoughts on how marketing and admissions teams, regardless of if they're independent teams or uh, a centralized team, how they can work better together, respect their various roles and responsibilities, but also be much more collaborative. Yeah. Well, there's no accounting for structures that get in the way of automatic silos, right? So you can't move those if the institution's not going to move them. But in absence of that, there's some hacks, for lack of a better word. There's no excuse um, for not being in a more collaborative environment, the goals are the same, you know, you're moving in the same direction. There shouldn't be infighting to compete about who's better at doing that or whose approach is better. All of it is important. And so I think that you could consider some kind of matrix management structure if the leaders are willing, where you have people whose roles or functions are both in admissions or enrollment, whatever the shop is called, and marketing, having some kind of dual report or regular interaction with the leaders in the other area. You could have opportunities to build more trusting relationships. Often there's mistrust at the root of those um, things. So you could do things where you do more team development with the two teams so they get to know each other better. I don't know if you've ever used shadowing, job shadowing. I did this within my division, but certainly it's possible to do it across divisions where you get someone who needs to have better understanding cognitively and greater appreciation, empathy um, for another person's role that they go shadow them, sit with them for the day and you follow along with everything that they're doing and you ask questions and you watch and just create an observation. And there's some social stuff around it. So you go to lunch together or whatever. There's a download at the end of the day that's a little more social, but that creates such strong, impactful development of relationships really quickly that if you were Deliberately, if you are committed to getting the two teams to work together, tools like that will help to start forming greater shared sense of goals and work together. Yeah, yeah. How do you think things like boot camps and technical certificates and offerings like Bloom Institute of Technology, which was formerly uh, Lambda School, will affect the product offerings at at traditional nonprofit institutions, if at all. And for those that might not be familiar with Bloom Institute of Technology, their basic premise is uh, income share uh, agreements, right? So how do you think these sorts of offerings are going to affect what we know and love about traditional nonprofit higher education? I don't know. I've been waiting for the innovation shakeup to happen for some time now, and I really haven't seen it. And you would think a global public health crisis and an economic crisis that followed would have precipitated that. I see institutions doubling down on risk aversion. And and so I don't see it happening yet, but you got to believe it's coming. It's happened in so many other sectors. I don't see any reason to believe why higher education wouldn't be subject to the same forces substantially shaking up how we do what we do. We can't keep doing things the same way, the value of higher education to become more appreciated, it's been on the decline for a while. So 
something's got to change. Uh, but I just don't know when particular innovative solutions are going to take hold in, in some of the ex examples that you've described. I see it at the edges, but I don't see you know, massive movement. Yeah, it, it seems too that a lot of these certificates and, and boot camps, obviously this depends on the, the kind of program or, or certificate, if it's highly technical or not. But it also seems like some students would opt for an in-person experience for a nine to 12 week, you know, boot camp, as opposed to, yes, I could do a general assembly or a Google cert, but I, I learn best when I'm in a classroom. And like, that's a different kind of learner than, you know, the, your traditional undergrad student, or even your traditional adult student that is interested in completing their bachelor's degree. And I have to imagine even at the local level, your, your school's finding ways to just reach out to the people in their backyards who might be interested in this alternative education path could be an interesting new revenue stream. So yeah, I'm also curious as to why it hasn't happened, but why we can't call to mind lots of examples of, of this happening right now. Yeah, I, I did went through a lead executive training program that's founded on the principles of innovation and is looking to form the next, <clears throat> excuse me, the next innovation leaders in higher education. So there's this pent up supply when higher education is ready, but I see an industry that is so stable, a former president of mine at University of Maryland would constantly point out that, you know, the idea of a university is more than 2000 years old. It's been around for a while. It's not likely to go away, but you would think that the changes in technology, the huge changes in our student populations compared with what our institutions were built for are going to force a reckoning at some point and the institutions that are more adept at opening themselves up to innovation are going to be poised to respond more effectively. One of the things that I've dreamt about, and I'm sure that there's something like this already in the works, but when you think about some of the, the more notable faculty members that have, you know, national profiles, like what does it look like in the same way, you know, I, my wife and I use the, the Peloton app right, for our workouts. And we both have, like, we each have affinities for different trainers, yeah. right? I like, you know, one trainer, she likes another. And, and what's funny is, you know, we're paying Peloton, obviously, for the service, but what we're really doing is, like, we have built up this affinity for yeah. these trainers. And, like, what is the comparable to that in, in higher education? Will I be able to take a class from a professor, a, a noteworthy professor at Stanford that I would otherwise never be able to take a class with, almost masterclass style-esque, but I'm even thinking, at, at what point are we going to see the ability, whether it's a you know degree or not, to be able to readily and easily take a class from a professor at Yale, a professor at Stanford, a professor from Loris College that we talked about earlier in Iowa, and almost like stack learning based off of the individual people that you want to, that you might want to study under. Yeah. I know this is very much a tangent, but no, it's a good one, but I, I I'm think interested in that. Yeah. That's what's at, was at the root of the idea for edX or Coursera. Yeah. And it couldn't be sustained. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, there wasn't enough demand there. I don't know whether the platform is, um, not there to allow someone to develop enough of a following to really make that work over time. But I don't know, maybe we need to learn from our Peloton trainers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. Yeah. What excites you most about, about this moment that we're living through right now? So where do you see the most opportunity and what are, when, when Terry just has a moment to, to think, right? She doesn't have an email to go to. She doesn't have a keynote ha, to give. Ha. She doesn't have a course, <laughs> a course to develop. And she's just sitting in her chair 
she's got a coffee or a, a glass of wine, whatever <laughs> it might be, and she's and it's her brain is is free to think about whatever she wants within the realm of what are you most excited about in the industry? What comes to mind? I do I do think higher education marketing is having a moment right now, and I have had the opportunity in writing the book and in developing this course to talk to people in the industry who've been the founders, the second generation contemporaries of mine who are um, incredible experts in the field and the rising stars that are coming up. And you can feel how much the industry has changed in a relatively short period of time. And so you think about the challenges we're facing and the tools that marketing has to address those challenges and the recognition that this is becoming a respected, adopted, critical strategic function at more institutions, it's time for us to step into that. And how exciting is that for all the people who want to do this work going forward? Yeah. Yeah. So well said. Yeah. There's never been a greater time to be a higher ed marketer. We should uh, come up with some posters or something. <laughs> what about a couple of significant changes that you think need to happen, need to be made in the industry in order to adapt to changing consumer preferences. And, mm -hmm. and I'm not talking about, you know, five to 10 years out, just over the next few years here, two to three years out, maybe. What does higher ed need to be focused on uh, in terms of priority to ensure that their offerings continue to be aligned with and relevant to their consumers, mm -hmm. which I know is another bad C word, but to, to prospective students and their other constituencies. Well, I can think of a couple of things we need to do that are going to sound more surface level. They're still hard. The degree of difficulty is still there, but they're more surface level and one really deeply rooted change that we've got to get to. So the two kind of surface level ones are get your di digital house in order. We've got to figure out this question of where the capacity belongs, how to be better educated consumers in that space how to be willing to ask questions about it and learn better, how to build teams that are our experts in that area because it's the future of our industry. Second thing would be to put the tools in place to better integrate. It's just not acceptable anymore to have an experience that's so disaggregated given the customer experience that people are having in every other sector. And it's obviously affecting what our students, our alums, our other supporters expect of us. The more deeply rooted thing, and it goes to that, is... We've got to now start tracking, studying, and improving the student experience. You know, really deep focus, really deep understanding of what it is that our students want and need, what's going well, what's not, and how to innovate um, in ways that deliver on a better experience. Asking about it and constantly refining that are going to become, I think, really important. Yeah, yeah. And I think the first two are really great, too, just in in terms of reminding, I think all of us that the tools are there, right? Maybe a decade ago, they weren't quite there, but the, the tools are there now, right? And it's really just about figuring out how do you leverage them effectively for your context. And I agree that getting your digital house in order, that's a really great way of saying it, is should be the most important priority if, if it's not already tidy. My final question for you, for now at least, <laughs> is if you were the president of a college or university today in 2022, and if you could wave a magic wand and in one year's time, you could reimagine your school's products, your programs, your majors, et cetera, your school's experience, 
and its marketing and communications, where would you start and and how would you do so? Again, it's a magic wand. So you've got magic on your side. You've got resources on your side. But how would you go about doing so? I will just say as a bit of an aside, there's an institution that's just begun that's worth watching. I think it's University of Austin. Is that right? Yes. Oh, right? interesting. Yes, I am talking with, with what's his name? Good old what's um, his name? Good old what's his name. My apologies if you're listening to this. Anyways, I am talking to somebody from there in a couple of weeks. Great. Yes. I mean, I think that's a case study that everyone should be paying attention to because it allows you the thought exercise about exactly this. If you were starting from scratch, what would you do? But okay, we'll wave a magic wand. Where would I start to make this kind of reimagined change? I'd start with a market segment that's expected to offer reasonable demand. And then I would understand deeply what they're looking for in a higher education experience. What are the things that would motivate them to pursue a degree or a course or some other bundling solution that meets their needs? And then I'd look around at what else is in the market and potential competitors or actual competitors for that. And don't do that. Avoid what the competitors are doing. Go look for Blue Ocean. And then I'd focus on differentiation because I think it's the secret sauce. If you're starting from scratch, those would be the places you begin. Last note on differentiation because it's been this very important theme throughout this whole series. Do you have any just personal like creative exercises that you work through when you're trying to come up with something new or something different? Are there any like you know routines that you force yourself through like do you like close the door turn off all the lights and like wait for two hours and then let yourself out and then you have this brilliant (laughs) idea any sort of like hacks or routines or rituals that you walk through when you're trying to you're trying to come up with something new you're trying to you're trying to come up with something a little bit different yeah I do think there is a immerse yourself in whatever it is that you need to address so whatever the data insights research part one Part two, what is everybody else doing? So when we've done this with teams on differentiation, we collect any kind of examples of their marketing and promotion as the expression of the institution or the particular program. Put them up all around the room and do like a gallery walk. So you've immersed yourself in what you need to do and the data about it. You've immersed yourself in what everybody else is doing. Then you go to brainstorming. And that can be an environment that's really creative, free-flowing, no bad ideas, you know, people who know how to structure brainstorming know how to do this and you get everything out on the table and then you start to narrow based on some criteria. And usually you'll come up with, if, if you let people really let loose under those conditions, you'll come up with stuff that's crazy. There's a, crazy in a good way, there's a book, I'm trying to remember the name of it, where basically the guidance is, it's a marketing guy who's at Stern in at NYU that talks about innovative being flipping assumptions. Look at the assumptions in any business model or any industry and then do the opposite of that. And what would that, and that's a good way to come up with things that really are that blue ocean where no one else is. I think I just mixed a lot of metaphors. I I I love it. I'm a sucker for a good metaphor. So Terry, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy life to talk with us throughout this podcast series and for our listeners again one final plug if you haven't done so already head on over to enrollify.org forward slash master course not master class master course and you will be taken to a beautiful landing page where you can register for the full 
master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery. Zach, can I just say it's been at the end of this last pod, it's been such a great partnership working with you. I think we make a great team in creating something that's going to be really valuable for our industry. And we've got one of the more seasoned experts pairing up with one of the rising stars in higher ed marketing. And I think we've produced something that's going to create real value for our colleagues. So thank you for being a partner in that. Of course, it's been a, it's been a privilege. I've learned a lot and lots more to still learn. So thank you, Terry, for your time. 